welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast, the podcast where we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope that it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors of sexual abuse too. We hope that you find it interesting, but more than that, if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, we hope that you find our discussion empowering. Hi, podcast listeners. This is Felina Grosvenor from the abuse team at Hugh James Solicitors. And I'm joined today by our new colleague, Kathleen Hallisey. And today we just want you to really get to know our team, get to know the podcast speakers and yeah, just get to know us on a more personal level. Hi, everyone. This is Kathleen. Nice to meet you and be talking with you today. And you'll detect an accent there from Kathleen. Kathleen, can you tell us a bit about your background and where you're from? Absolutely. So those of you who have a good ear for accents will know that I'm from America, not a Canadian accent, an American accent. So I'm originally from just outside Boston and grew up there and went to university and law school in New York, qualified there as a lawyer, practiced there for a bit, and then moved here. And I've been here since 2007 and practicing as a solicitor here since 2009. Great. And so how did your career actually begin in the legal sector? So obviously you studied, as you said, you qualified. What area of law were you initially in? So I've always worked in personal injury and always on behalf of claimants. Um, in the States, we say plaintiff, which means claimant. So always on behalf of the injured party. I've done various different types of work over the years in this country and in the U.S. And I've started exclusively doing abuse work in probably around 20 2014, 2013, 2014. Mm -hmm. And is that what you expected, really? Did you expect to be in personal injury? Did you go into that area intentionally? Not necessarily personal injury intentionally. I definitely went to law school because I wanted to help people. I thought I potentially would have a career in civil rights, and I just kind of fell into personal injury. And I did that for a long time. I worked on behalf of trade unions for a while, acting on behalf of people who were injured at work. And then did some US-UK work, employment type of work, employment claims, and also uh, cases involving sexual assaults on US campuses, which is quite a hot topic. Mm. And then was asked by a colleague to work with him in the abuse department at my one of my previous firms, and he and I ran that department and that team together. And it was just perfect timing, actually, because I had gotten to the point in law where I didn't feel like I was helping that much anymore. I didn't like I kind of lost heart. I wasn't sure that this was what I wanted to do. I kind of lost my passion for it. And I started doing abuse work and just completely fell in love with law again and really reignited my passion for it and and reminded me of why I had become a lawyer in the first place. That's really nice to hear. And you said that you were invited into that abuse work. Do you think that there was a reason, perhaps about your personality or the work that you've done, there a reason why you were invited into working on abuse? I think, I mean, probably part of my personality, but also to my colleague who was doing a lot of the abuse work at, at my previous firm at the time. He and I had known each other for years and got along really well. We had a really good dynamic in terms of how we worked together. And, and I think similar personalities as well in terms of how we approach the work and approach clients would meant that we were a good fit mm -hmm. for the work and for working with each other. Yeah, no, that absolutely makes sense. 
And so you said you started working on abuse claims, did you say 2014? Yeah. Around about. So a few years now, obviously, you've stayed in the same area since. And was there a particular motivation? You've mentioned vulnerable people, feeling like you've made a difference. Is, is that really the extent of the motivation for you? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's I think it's acting on behalf of vulnerable people, people who need your help, and also feeling like you're doing something to combat injustice, which I know sounds very flowery in terms of, you know, why people become lawyers, but you do, I think, feel a sense of fighting the kind of big guy and acting on behalf of the little guy. I mean, in the truest sense, what we do with litigation, we're litigators, and really that means to fight and fight on behalf of somebody who needs our help. So, yeah, I mean, I feel really passionately about that. Yeah, I think that's really sincere. Not everyone feels that way. I know it sounds like a bit of a corny line, but actually no one, not really that many people say it. You know, there's lots of different areas of law and not everyone could do this. And so we've touched upon, obviously, the fact that you have worked with abuse survivors for such a long time and I just wondered if there's anything that you find particularly difficult about that um I mean I think you know every case is, is different and, and you feel a huge compassion for each of the clients some cases stay with you more than others depending on facts of the case all abuse obviously is, is horrific some of the cases that have been particularly I think difficult are cases where somebody is been removed from the family home because of neglect or abuse at home and then is put into a setting either in foster care or in an institutional setting where then they're abused even further. I think those are particularly egregious because those are the, the children that should have been looked after already vulnerable, often happens in abuse cases. Certainly cases I've had where a child has been abused, disclosed the abuse when they were a child and wasn't believed by whoever they might have disclosed to, often their parents which is basically incredibly traumatic and damaging. Those are difficult cases. I obviously have a particular specialism in cases involving abuse in the Jehovah's Witness organization. I feel very, very passionately about that work, Mm -hmm. particularly. And before we talk a bit more about that, how would you say, if you do have a method of tackling, you know, when matters are very sensitive, we are humans after all, is there anything in particular that you do to step away from this? I can't say there's anything that I do particularly to step away from this other than watch reality television, <laughs> which is just a complete, you know, zoning yeah. out. But the way that I deal with it is when I take on a new case, and which tends to be when you're particularly getting into the detail of what happened to somebody, which, you know, obviously stays with you. I anticipate having a week or two of, you know, sleepless nights and mm. it being on my mind a lot. And then, and then that passes and, you know, you're not dealing with the kind of horror of the detail of it all the time. But, you know, I think that if I didn't have those sleepless nights or was not horrified by what I'm hearing, then I, then I shouldn't be doing this work. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, a couple of weeks of sleep, sleepless nights pales in comparison to, to what my clients go through. Yeah, that's really well said. And um, as you say, if you didn't react, then clearly you're missing some compassion, which is obviously so important for the work that we do. And you, you just touched upon there your work regarding Jehovah's Witnesses cases. Could you tell us a bit about that, maybe how you got into that and, and what your career has involved in that sense? Yeah, so when I first started doing abuse work, one of the first cases that I dealt with was abuse of a woman who's known as A because she was anonymized in the proceedings who was abused by a person in a position of trust in her congregation. Really horrible abuse, what happened to her. And 
I understood in the course of kind of getting to know the case and getting to know her that it was really important that I educated myself on the Jehovah's Witnesses as an organization. It's a very terminology-heavy organization, and, and it was important that I understood all of that so that my client, when she was talking to me, didn't have an additional layer of explaining things to me. It was already so difficult for her to kind of make disclosures that she hadn't had to make, make previously. And I just became really interested in the subject, and then her case went to trial, and, and we thankfully won the case. It was the first successful case against the ZMK which was fantastic, but my passion had kind of alighted before that because there's a huge issue with sexual abuse in that organization, but a complete refusal by the organization to acknowledge that it's a problem and therefore nothing can be done about it if you don't think that there's an issue there. So, you know, the example that I always give is I'm born and raised Catholic. I went to 18 years of Catholic school. I'm from Boston, which is the Irish Catholic Mecca in the U.S. and lived through all the sexual abuse scandals there. And so I'm certainly not giving the Catholic Church any credit, but they have now adopted some safeguarding. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always more that they need to do, and, and certainly they can be heavily criticized still. But at least recognize that there's a problem because they were forced to, not because they did it out of goodwill. And, and other organizations have done the same. Church of England, Scouts, etc., have recognized the scale of institutional talent sexual abuse on the cover-up. And it, the same exists in Jehovah's Witnesses, mm. but the problem is that the organization refuses to acknowledge it. Yeah, so, you know, we're not giving anyone a pat on the back, but we're saying, well, the first step that we ask of you is to acknowledge mm-hmm. that there's problems. Then, obviously, yeah. what you can do from that no, that's all really interesting. And I think what you were saying about your client was you just seemed very thoughtful, you know, learning about the terminology so that she wouldn't struggle more to instruct you. I think that's a really nice element to you and, and the work that you do, obviously. So moving on then, well, that sort of ties into what I just said, sorry, that you are thoughtful. I wonder how you feel that your approach as a solicitor differs to your clients as opposed to a solicitor working in another area of law? I think obviously I mean, the nature of, of this work and work that we do means that you have to approach each client with compassion and empathy. And I really try and tailor my approach to the client. And so the advice that I always give to a client when I first meet them is, look, we can do this however you want to. If you want to talk to me every day, you can talk to me every day. If you want me to just deal with this and only call you as and when and when I need something from you, we can deal with it like that. You tell me what's going to be best for you. And that's the way that we'll approach this. Mm. And I think it's important because some people do need and want that kind of constant contact. And other clients really rather put put it to the back of their mind and for you to kind of just get in touch when you have to. And I think, you know, it's just important to give that option to every client so that they can decide what works for them and what's going to be best for them. I mean, well, that obviously opens the fact that trauma is complicated. So anyone that's bringing a claim with us has suffered in some sense, different levels, you know, and different people are affected in different ways. So that that makes complete sense. You know, you need to ask that person how they prefer things to be done because not everyone experiences trauma in the same way. Is there anything that you would say, maybe advice or words of wisdom, I suppose, to those listening? So we obviously hope that we're reaching those that are survivors or those that are working with survivors and we want them to know that we are approachable. 
So, yeah, is there anything that you would like to say sort of directly to the audience in that sense? I, th- I think a couple of things. One is that obviously I know from the work that I do and have done how difficult it is to disclose and come forward, but that there are people here, myself, my colleagues, and, and other people who work in this field generally who really are good human beings, who truly care about the work that they're doing and care about their clients. And the other thing I would say, which you know might be a bit, a bit controversial, but I'll explain why, is that I really truly believe that making claims and bringing cases against institutions is part of what fosters change. And that is incredibly important, as difficult as it is, and I, and, I, and I don't say that lightly for people to disclose and to come forward and pursue cases, that it does, in fact, in essence, excuse me, really affect change. And, you know, I gave that example previously in terms of the Catholic Church, but I think it's a perfect example of kind of a groundswell of claims, which meant that the church was going to be affected financially, mm-hmm. which ultimately, in my view, cynical as it may be, is what essentially prompted change in, in that in that organization, i.e. the Catholic Church. And I think the same is true in all organizations. Unfortunately, organizations generally who have had institutional child sexual abuse and cover-ups has been because those institutions put their reputation above all else. And so equally, financially, if they are affected by claims, then they're more likely to change. So I do think that making claims is is incredibly important. I don't in any way diminish the difficulty of disclosing, as I said, or or the difficulty of bringing a claim. I think it would be disingenuous for me to to say that it's not difficult. But equally for, for listeners and survivors and victims to understand that, let us take that burden on for you of bringing a claim. As I said, you know, tailoring our, my approach, do you want to talk to me all the time or you don't want to talk to me all the time? You have enough of a burden, let me take that burden off for you. But it's important and it, and it will help other people. Yeah, I think that's, that's really nice, like calling it a burden and you know, taking that burden. It, it's true, it's you know, a weight. You've mentioned throughout about the issues with the Jehovah's Witness organisation not accepting its faults in a very simple way, if I can say it that way. Is there anything else that you feel is quite topical at the moment that we as a team will be looking at or things that maybe survivors or those working with survivors should be sort of aware of at the moment? I think as a result of my work and kind of reading and research into Joe's witnesses and dealing with those cases has kind of opened another area, which is essentially looking at non-mainstream religious groups, nonconformist groups, closed communities, there's lots of different terms, cults. And I think that we're just beginning to kind of look at that and consider that in terms of what those organizations look like and how abuse happens in those types of settings. Um, certainly, obviously, ICSA, Independent Inquiry into Child Sexual Abuse, has looked at that. But I think that's an important and growing area, certainly something that's recognized on a national level in this country. So that's something that I think particularly is a kind of watch this space moment. I think that we're starting to kind of gain momentum and groundswell around that. I also think one of the other groups to be looking at are vulnerable survivors is kind of the term that I would use. So people with disabilities, learning difficulties, people who might be deaf, those are often overlooked communities who actually suffer abuse at a higher rate than than the average person, so to speak. And I think it's important that we start looking at that and raising awareness around those groups and abuse in those groups as well. That's really interesting. Thank you. And before we sort of finish up, we're so happy to have you and your expertise is obvious and the way you speak is you clearly do have a passion for this and you, you clearly do care. I should really have probably brought this up sooner, but you've come to the UK and you've come to us. 
Was there any particular motivations for that move? Coming to the UK? Yeah. Um, my husband's from here. Ah, okay. <laughs> so um, I always joke and say it's kind of the traditional American expat story, how I've ended up here. So um, I've been here obviously nearly 15 years now, so mm-hmm. I'm definitely here to stay. <laughs> oh, well, that's nice to know. It's for love. <laughs> and, you know, on you as a person, you mentioned that reality TV is something that helps you take away. What are you watching at the moment? Oh, God, I love a bit of Real Housewives. I know it's just absolutely gutter television, but I do love that. I love a good documentary, usually kind of a crime documentary, which isn't maybe necessarily switching off, but I feel like, <laughs> like that kind of stuff. And WeWork, which is on Apple TV, but is um, based on a company called WeWork that was started in the States and how it just got completely out of control in terms of the funding that they receive and really recommend that one. Okay, haven't heard about that, so good to know. Well, we obviously look forward to hearing more from you and I'm sure you'll be a great addition, a great speaker on the podcast going forward. And just to say that anyone who is listening, if they had anything particular that they wanted to ask Kathleen or just wanted to get in touch with us, the email address for that is hjtalks at aboutabuse.co.uk. And it just leaves me to thank you so much, Kathleen, for your time. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to speak to us about something you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk.